Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 793rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who teaches that worms are people too. We're talking with Paul Horner about vermicomposting. Paul is a worm farmer published children's book author and co-founder of Our Silent Partners, a grassroots effort focusing on transforming waste diversion into chemical-free soil amendments. Paul has been an organic gardener and an avid composter for over 20 years, only recently being awakened to what he calls the true magic that is vermicomposting. Paul published his first book, an illustrated children's book titled Worms Are People Too in April of 2022. He is a member of the U.S. Composting Council, the North Carolina Composting Council, and the Carolina Farm Stewards Association. Paul currently resides in Harrisburg, North Carolina with his wife and three children. Welcome to the show today, Paul. Are you ready to rock? I'm ready. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And we have a story here we're going to share in a little while too. We do, we do. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure, absolutely. I'd love to. Again, thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's been awesome. After a career in the hospitality industry, 2019 COVID happened, right? Everybody was hit hard. I don't know how many industries hit too much harder than the hospitality and tourism industry. Right. I was laid off from my job and got to spend a lot of family time at home. And, you know, it was kind of just weighing my options, trying to figure out next direction my life was heading. And I've always had a really close relationship with my dad. And Mm -hmm. when things started to open back up, he and my mom had come to visit and he and I had gone to the grocery store and he, uh, he just out of nowhere, he says to me, he says, you know, he says, how do you feel about starting, starting a family business? You know, I want to start a family business. Oh, nice. Yeah. He, uh, he's, he's a few, he's still got a few years before retirement, but he's, you know, he's coming up on that. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of trying to figure out what he wants to do in retirement. And I said, well, I said, you know, you know that I'm kind of at a crossroads, what I want to do career wise and what I want to do with the rest of my life. So he, he said, well, I, you know, I'd really like to start something that I'm the oldest of four kids that that everybody kind of just wants to do. And then we can build it and then have the grandkids help. And he just wanted something that everybody could do together. And I said, well, I said, you know, I, I'd love to hear what you had in mind, what your thoughts are. And he said, well, hear me out. You know, this is going to sound ridiculous. And I said, okay. I said, well, listen, I'll give it a shot, whatever it is. And he said, uh, I want to start a worm farm. And I don't know what the look on my face was at the time, but I'm uh-huh. sure it wasn't what he was expecting <laughs> or maybe it was, who knows? So I said, well, you need to elaborate more than let's start a worm farm. And he said he had been watching an old episode of an old show that's not on anymore. There used to be a show on CNBC called Blue Collar Millionaire. And they were very short episodes. There's six minute maybe episodes. And the first three minutes was a highlight of how these people made millions of dollars, how they got rich. Mm-hmm. And then this, the last three minutes, of course, I guess, you know, for TV value was 
how what what they spend their money on and so you know everybody wants to see oh they're self-made millionaires what do they buy with their millions right mm-hmm. and so there was a guy his name is mark purser he runs what's called the worm farm in durham california and it's about he and his wife starting what is now still to this day a multi multi-million dollar vermicomposting operation wow um, yeah it's massive if you and again the episodes are short and they're free they're on youtube but if you look at the size of his operation it's it's unbelievable and for him to have started from nothing you know he tells his story they were he was he's a retired navy vet he was looking for something to do in retirement uh-huh. and he and his wife were out for a drive and there was a roadside stand or something that had a sign that says we're looking for people to grow worms and he's like, <laughs> uh, this, I don't know. I don't understand. So he's uh, intrigued. He stopped and he bought some worms. I, I believe they were earthworms, the uh, ENCs, European nightcrawlers. And he took them home. And uh, the funniest part of the episode is that they're talking to he and his wife. And he had forgotten that that first batch of worms he actually killed um, because he didn't do any research. He didn't he didn't do what he, anything he was supposed to do. And his wife said, you know, you know, you killed that first batch of worms. And he's like, no, I don't remember it that way. And she's like, no, no, you killed them. And so then they went through the whole thing. But anyway, so my dad said, you know, what? this is, this is something I would like to try. And I think my, my reaction then, as opposed to my initial reaction was pretty much something even more to the effect of, I think you're ridiculous. This is not a good idea. <laughs> this is, you know, from a, a had a career in public service that which then pivoted into hospitality, and now I'm just like, you want me to do what? You you want to start a worm farm? I don't think this is going to be a thing. And he said, well, he said, hear me out. Do mm-hmm. some research. You know, do your due diligence. You know, read some books, watch some videos. If you still think after a little bit of research that this isn't viable, then you and I will come up with something else. He said, but I really, I really would like to, to research this. And so I did. So I went through the whole thing. I bought every book that I could find and I read it multiple times and I found out, and this is kind of, I'm, it made me think of how, kind of how I came across you in the first place is it just so happens that the global expert in what we do, verma, vermiculture and vermicomposting is a professor here in North Carolina at oh, North, wow. Carolina, North, North Carolina State University. Her name is Dr. Rhonda Sherman, and she is is revered globally. She's consulted with over 100 countries on creating their own vermicomposting operations, and she's just considered wow. a global expert, and she is, she is a wonderful woman. Um, in your backyard. Yeah, in my backyard. She's so not two Hot. hours from my house. Dang, man. Yeah, it's right. I mean, you can't think of anything more serendipitous, I guess. So it, I was trying to soak up as much information of hers as I could once I realized she was so close. And I had stumbled across this podcast called The Urban Farm, (laughs) where Dr. Sherman was a guest Uh on this podcast. And I listened to her talk and I was like, all right, this lady's awesome. And so I reached out to her and she and I became a, we, we started a dialogue. And she, most people don't know because North Carolina State University is a public they call it a public land grant university. And so they there is what's called the co-op extension services through uh-huh. NC State. Well, all of that, all of those resources are free to everyone. Yeah. And so if you go to Dr. Sherman's website on NC State's extension services website, all of the, her information is on there and it's free. It's a, wow. she has PDF documents on how to build worm bins. And you know, she basically bullet points everything she talks about in her book in PDFs that you can download for free. And then she gives her email address and her phone number. And you would never think that someone this globally revered, you know, you could just email her and ask a question, man, not only does she get back to you, but she gets back to you fast. So long story short, I, you know, I actually started listening to your podcast every week because you had Dr. Sherman on Oh, excellent. However many years ago. And it's just kind of, I I think I tell the story, parts of the story every week, but it's, it, it is, it has been a rabbit hole that you just, every time you uncover one thing, you uncover 10 more uh, about what we, uh, what we do. And it's, you, you can never learn enough. You know, you're what I think what I love the most about what we do is that it's, it's constant knowledge. Yeah. 
it, some days it's like drinking out of a fire hose, <laughs> but it's, but it's constant knowledge and you're, it's, you're constantly learning. It's, it's ever evolving. It's ever changing. And it's, it's goes right along the lines of what my dad and I always wanted to do. And that's, you know, this is going to sound, I don't know. I don't mean it to sound super cliche, but it's going to sound super cliche is that it, it, we want to save the planet. You know, yeah. if, if, you know, For our I, kids. And, yeah, for our kids, man. If, for, oh if not God. for anyone other than for our kid and their kids, you know. I just yeah. my my dad tells a joke. We're at the the Charlotte Regional Farmers Market every Saturday, and my dad tells a joke when he tells people our origin story. Is he always says, you know, we're we're doing what little we can and building on that because uh, I've been trying to build a rocket ship to Mars and it's not going going very well. So I better <laughs> yeah. we better figure out how to exist on this planet. Because that existing on other planets is not going to happen anytime. Soon. Anytime in our lifetime, and that's for it's sure. exactly right. Exactly right. So tell me about your worm farm. Yeah. So we truly, truly, you know, when you use the word grassroots, when you when you described how we started, it, I kept thinking I was like, man, we not only have we come a long way, but we truly are grassroots. So we. Dad had a conversation with me back in December of 2019, and we bought our first worms January of 2020. Oh Actually, wow! I'll never, I'll never forget. We, <laughs> we weren't home. We had taken all the grandkids to Disney World for a week, and and I didn't think the worms were going to come that quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ordered them before we left, and sure enough, they came while we were gone. And thankfully, we had somebody house sitting for us, so the house sitter brought the box in from the porch and set it on the kitchen counter. <laughs> so they were on my kitchen counter for a three or four days before we got home. And they were, they were happy when I opened the oh, box. Yeah. And yeah. so we started, we started in my downstairs bedroom in one bin, one tote from Costco. The, yep. They call them, they're like 40 gallons with the yellow tops. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with one bin. And I was like, all right, well, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And, We'll just see what works and see what doesn't work, and we'll just roll with it. And one bin turned into two bins, turned into four bins, because worms reproduce if they're happy, if they're in their, you know, I call it the sweet spot, moisture and temperature and feeding. If they're happy, they reproduce about every six weeks. Okay. It's easy for worms. It's, you know, worms are, are asexual, so they literally just have to rub up against each other, and that creates the cocoon or egg sac. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you might get eight to 10 baby worms in a cocoon and that's every six weeks if they're happy. So, you know, if you're feeding them and they're happy, you know, you're going to need to split your bins very fairly frequently. So we very quickly did we outgrow my downstairs bedroom and we moved into my garage because I, I live in a neighborhood, you know, in, on a half an acre, you know, and with an HOA. And so I was being outside even with the temperature changes was not really an option we needed to to keep them somewhat control in a controlled environment just Mm -hmm. to keep them alive and so just recently i'd say so that was january of 2020 when we first got our first worms and then in february of this year my dad purchased a 27 acre farm in salisbury north carolina which is it's a about 30-ish minutes from my house. It's my parents live in Greensboro. So uh-huh. it's about halfway, it's about halfway between me and them. Oh, very um, good. And so that property came with a large nine-stall barn, which uh. we have since since moved the worm operation to the barn. We don't have any livestock. And then the the people that we bought the farm from sold their livestock after they sold the farm to us. So we we very uh, it took a little bit of time, but we have had since out, out really outgrown my garage. And the, the beauty of using the, the totes, the bins that we use is that they're stackable. Yep. And so, you, you know, space saving. But when you have 10, 12, 15 bins, you know, even a two-car garage, you know, which is half a gym, you know, for my wife, it gets really small really fast. Right. So we have since in the last, I'd say, month or so moved the entire operation up to the actual farm. So now we have, I don't know, we're probably <laughs> worm counts are kind of a, a <laughs> interesting the, the neat the needle moves, I feel like, you know, every couple of months. It also moves depending on who you talk to. But you know, kind of the industry standard as it pertains to worms is in a pound of worms, whatever would be considered a pound. And that's not a pound mixed in with 
dirt or a pound mixed in with cardboard. That's just a clump of worms that weighs a pound. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to, you're going to get about a thousand, thousand about worms. a thousand worms. And yeah. so we've, we're well over a hundred thousand worms now after starting with about 1200 or so, I think was the first batch that in two we, years. We, wow. we purchased. Yeah. So they, they do their thing and, you know, and, and, and even, even moderating their temperature and controlling mm -hmm. it, they can, they intu intuitively know, you can tell they know, the seasons when it's spring, summer, fall, winter, because they, even with a heater that I run, let's say in my garage and, and try to keep the temperatures higher in the wintertime, they do everything slower in the wintertime. They reproduce slower, they eat slower. Mm -hmm. They still, they still do everything, but they just do it a lot slower. And so they, you know, that's why places like Arizona, where you're from, you know, where they have a very large worm farm, Yep. Um, the climate there is conducive to worm farming outside year round, you know, in North Carolina, where we have winter, where it gets, <laughs> yeah. could get down to the teens sometimes, you know, it, it's, it's a little hard to do everything outside. So we had to make sure that we could continue the operation inside, but still control the, the environment for them. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And are you still in bins? Yes, we actually we are still in bins. So we're getting ready to now that we've moved up to the farm, we're getting ready to transfer into trough system. Oh, very um, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a book I read, or it was a, a series of articles. I can't remember where the the gentleman who was farming actually had them in a, a trough raised off the ground, and he baited them basically. So he would he would feed them in one area of the trough. Mm -hmm. And all the worms would gravitate to that area. And then he would harvest the castings from the area where they just left. And then he would feed them in that area and get them to move away. And he just move them back and forth. And so we're, that's what basically what we've been building to. So oh, we're, once I get the, um, the trough constructed, that'll be uh, the end game with us. So it's, uh, you know, nice. it's, I still, you know, I have three kids under the age of six and a wife that works full time and, you know, so it's a, it's basically splitting time between the farm and mm -hmm. family and the farmer's market and then customers and, and building the business. So it's and, uh, and educating and, and educating. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I know that Zach Brooks at Arizona Worm Farm, he uses kind of a trough system where he in rows and yep. he just he starts a, a pile, maybe three foot by three foot and then just for sake of visualizing it, he starts adding food to the left of it and sure. he builds the pile going to the left. Yep. And after, after a couple of months, all the worms have moved to the left and then he just scoops out the worm castings and yep. keeps building to the left. Yeah. It's a great way to do it. It's, it really is. And it's, you know, the, obviously when you're starting from nothing, you, you do what you can do, but oh, you, know, yeah. you, you like to have a goal to what you reach. And those guys have been a, have been a great model for what we, what we are striving for, like what we, yeah. what we'd like to, and, and hopefully I'd, I would say we'll probably be there by the end of, hopefully by the end of this year, but I would say it would be much sooner, but then by the end of this nice. year. Nice. Nice. Well, and you know, building a business is a process. Is this it your is, first absolutely. business? It is. It is. Yeah. It is my first business. Yeah. yeah. And it's a process of, and this is one of the reasons I asked the, tell me about a time you failed. Cause I sure. like for people to know that, there's, you can run into challenges and things Absolutely. may not work. And that's where we learn from. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. It's, that's yeah. 100% true. And it's, you know, and, and one thing my dad and I have promised each other when we started this was that, cause you see so many businesses they're like, Oh, we have this great idea. And it's, it's kind of a, you know, a fad or a trend and, mm -hmm. and they put people, you put everything into it. They put all their time, they put their savings, they put everything into it. And, and then, you know, they may make a little bit of money and have a little bit of success, but then that they didn't take the time to build a solid foundation. And so mm -hmm. then after six months or a year, maybe it fizzles out Maybe they sell the business to somebody else and make a little bit of money, but then, you know, you're, what are you left with? All right, well, now I have to start another business and I have to come up with another idea. And, you know, right. we believed in, in this, this business and this business model so much because it, while of course, any business you want to make money, any business you want to, well, you have, you know, to. have right. You have to, yeah. Cause you're, or you're not going to survive. And, and, you know, that's obviously, you know, you, you watch a show like Blue Collar Millionaire, and you're like, oh, that guy made a million dollars farming worms. 
I want to do that too, you know, but it's, it became so much more from a, for dad and I, as it began to evolve. And it's, you said it, it's, it becomes about education, educating people that the value of these, these tiny, tiny creatures with no eyes and no nose and no ears who just have a mouth and a, and a, and a long stomach, you know, and, and they're so intuitive, you know, to the point where they know what's food and what's not food. You know, I've been, I've been trying to train my, I have a five-year-old son. I've been trying to train my son, you know, what goes in the compost, what goes in the bags for the worm food from the kitchen and what, what doesn't, what, you know, what, what they can eat, what they can't eat. And so he knows he loves bananas. So he knows banana peels, they go in the container for the worms because worms love banana peels. And the one thing that he hasn't been able to, to really grasp yet is peeling the little sticker off of the banana peel before the banana peel goes in. And so I'll harvest castings and I'll, the banana peels will be gone, long gone, turned into beautiful nutrient rich castings. And the the sticker is just sitting right there in the bin. And so it's, if you can't find fascination in this tiny, tiny organism with no real sense of what's around them, and they're able to differentiate between a banana peel and a sticker, and sticker. what's food and what's not food. I just, I, it's, it, it just, it just blows my mind. You know, yeah. I mean, we're two years almost into this and it's still to this day, they, they know what's food and they don't know what's food. And so it, it became, you know, about that. It became about education. It became about, you know, waste diversion for us. You know, if you think Big about time. The amount of, I mean, you talk about it on the podcast all the time, the amount of amount of waste that goes into landfills that can be diverted to other sources. And we're not even talking about glass, plastic, aluminum recycling. We're talking about food waste, you know, biodegradable organic waste, you know, stuff like, you know, I use we have a a jar at the farmer's market that I keep some stitching and a tag in. You know, I, I use on inside each of my bins, I use old cotton t-shirts for blankets oh nice. uh, you know so the the concept of worm blankets is is something that's pretty pretty well known there are actually companies that sell worm blankets <laughs> on their websites if you will but you know i use i use old t-shirts you know and and you know people are say oh well i have all these old t-shirts i run 5ks or or whatever well, i just take them to somewhere to be donated well a lot of times if if those places can't use the shirts they they throw them in the trash so they're winding up in the landfill anyway well i started using the these t-shirts as blankets and as long as they're i found as long as they're 99 cotton at least 99 cotton mm-hmm. the worms will actually consume the cotton and so oh my gosh. these t-shirts that i use they're a, of a very well-known brand so like if i showed you the tag you'd be like oh yeah i know that brand these are 99 cotton one percent polyester and so they leave me the stitching and the tag from the back, which is the 1% polyester and and they consume all of the cotton. And so uh, I've told people that story and they're like, Oh, that's fascinating. And so I, I started, I, uh, they eat a t-shirt about every three months. It's a little bit slower because they, it's on top instead. They actually have to bury it and get to it as food. But the, I put it in a Mason jar and I have it on our table at the farmer's market. Just a nice nice conversation piece, but it's, you know, Dr. Sherman talks about, in one of the, she's been on multiple podcasts, but she talked about, you know, in one of the podcasts that she was on that, and I, and I'm not a scientist, so I, I'm not 100% up on the science, but the, Mm -hmm. the, the concept is essentially an aluminum can, let's say an aluminum soda can by itself in a landfill is essentially harmless. You know, it's, it's buried there under the dirt. It may take however many hundreds of years to break down, but sure, maybe it eventually will break down. But essentially by itself in a landfill, if it's not recycled, is really harmless. Uh-huh. The moment that same aluminum can in that same landfill butts up against organic kitchen scraps, let's say coffee grounds, let's say banana peels or fruit peels of any kind, watermelon rinds or whatever, the moment they touch each other in that landfill, heavy metals are released from that aluminum can and there's there's something in the science that where as that organic waste starts to break down it begins to break down the aluminum can and and everyone knows what heavy metals does to a water supply oh yeah so you know it's you know can we 
can we necessarily control the recycling portion of it for the can? Well, not necessarily, but everyone can control what kitchen waste goes into the trash. Yeah. Well, and, and that was, if you don't know, I'm not talking to you because I know you yeah. know, but uh, sure. listeners out there, if you don't know, I just moved from Phoenix, Arizona to Asheville, North Carolina. And one of the, th- the things that I did the first week that I was here was I set up a worm bin because I have these kitchen scraps and I can't bear to throw them out. Nope. It hurt. It would, it, it's painful when I watch anyone do it. And, and, yep. and every once in a while, you know, most, I have my family trained, so my That's family nice. knows kitchen scraps don't go into trash, but you know, every once in a while we'll have a visitor who comes over or whatever, and it'll get tossed into trash and I'll reach right back in the trash can and pull it back out. And yep. they're kind of looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it doesn't go, go into trash. And so it became, if you think about now, okay, so I have all of these kitchen scraps, however big your family is, you know, what even if you're a family of one, I was contacted by a, a nice lady the other day, a couple of days ago, actually. She's a, a a vegan and she's she lives in an apartment by herself, but you know, she's vegan, so she creates a a, a decent amount of of kitchen scraps, you know, vegetable waste and whatnot. And she wants to compost. She wants to vermicompost. And obviously it's hard to do in an apartment. So, you know, so now we divert that waste from the landfill. We keep it out of the landfill. But then what are we doing? Well, we're also now transforming that waste into this nutrient dense medium uh, soil amendment if you will that can be used to grow food for people you know and 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 this can be done anywhere this can be done in cities you know this can be done in suburbs it can be underneath your sink under your sink it can be done by anyone and then you know even if you set up a small container garden i mean i have I have half half an acre with a large garden in the back, but I have strawberries growing on my front stoop in containers, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't get to eat any of them because my children eat them all. But, you know, it's but you you don't need a lot of space to do any of these things. And so now we're again, now we're not we're not just taking it out of the landfill and removing it from the landfill, but we're turning it into something that everyone can use and then yeah. we can use it to feed people. Yeah. Amen. And. So you've been in this just two and a half years. Yeah, just barely. And you wrote a book? I did. I did. It's, so uh, so I, I see, I, I met you and I see yep. you and you don't occur for me like the kind of a person that would write a kid's book. But no. tell me about what happened. I'm getting chills asking you about this because yeah. this is so just looks magic. I, so I have, I will tell this part about me. I have a bachelor's degree in English. Oh, very um, good. I have, you know, written many, many things all just for myself though. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, it's any, a lot of writers will tell you it's a writer's curse, if you will. Not, <laughs> I, I can't think of too many writers who actually think their stuff is good. Even, even the best writers mm-hmm. on the planet you know, never really think their stuff is good. And so I really just would write for myself, you know, composition notebooks or, or whatever. And I've been doing that for years. And it was kind of just a way for me to kind of just escape, you know, let some stuff out of my mind and, and, and do my own thing. And, you know, I, I was, I actually just told this story on my Facebook page yesterday, because my, my birthday's coming up next week. And so, you know, everybody does the Hey, I want to fundraise for my birthday. Donate oh, yeah. money to this instead of buying me something, right? So, mm-hmm. so there is a. My dad and I were at the farmers market. It's probably a year ago, and we were approached at our table by two very, very nice women. And one of them, she identified herself as she's the executive director of a charitable organization in Huntersville, North Carolina, which is about 15, 20 minutes from where I live. Mm -hmm. It's kind of near Lake Norman, if anybody uh, listening is familiar with that area. And their mission is essentially combating systemic homelessness Mm. in the the region. And Mm -hmm. I really took to her story because the, you, you know, that you know, there are homeless shelters in, in any large city and, and yeah. that shelter model is not necessarily the greatest model for, for fixing what's causing the homelessness. It may just be a Band-Aid kind of thing, but, you know, the, the, the goal is to help these people get on their feet, get jobs, and then get their own place to battle, you know, to, to keep the, the systemic part of it from continuing. Right. 
So they had some land donated and on it, they built a bunch of tiny houses. And, oh, nice. Uh-huh. It's awesome. And they have a garden and they have all this community resources. They have job training. And so they, they focus a lot on single parent households, but they, they help just about anybody that needs it. And so you get a tiny house with a kitchen and appliances and, and rooms and, a, and your own bathroom and all this. And hold stuff. on. And a worm bin. And so we're work we're working towards that. Yes. Yes. Because they wanted to know about she wanted to know about composting and creating Mm -hmm. a worm bin and and repurposing their scraps and using them in the garden to teach people how to garden and and starting all that. So we're the executive director, Debbie is her name. She and I were having this conversation and she's telling me about it. And my eyes are like, you know, like, like when you and I first met and we both got chills on chill bumps yep. on our arms. Yeah, I was, exactly. I was getting chill bumps talking to her. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And so anyway, so her friend standing next to her after Debbie and I got finished talking, her friend's name is Jill. Jill said, I want to let you know, I work for a company called scholastic and in my brain i'm like come on oh who scholastic is right they run the book the school book fairs right yeah i work i work for scholastic and i will have to tell you you have exactly what you need to write a children's book right here in front of you and i wasn't i wasn't picking up what she was putting down let's put it that way i Uh my brain wasn't going wherever she was trying to take me and i'm like I don't know what you're talking about, but I want to hear about it. <laughs> and she said, she said, you have two things that children love. And I said, well, what's, what's that? She said, you have worms, worms. And, you have poop, and poop. Oh yes. <laughs> and I stopped and I said, you know, you're, right. <laughs> I, you're right. And so I was still working in the, at that, at that time, I was still working a full-time job in the hospitality industry. And I was pulling double duty on Saturdays. Dad and I would go to the farmer's market super early and we'd be at the farmer's market all day. And then I would leave the farmer's market and I would go to my job uh-huh. uh, and I would, I would work a full shift at my job. And then I would come home and crash because I was exhausted. And that day I remember between the farmer's market and work, which is about a 15 to 20 minute drive. I wrote the whole book, which would become my book in my head. I wrote the story in my head. Nice. Um, and it was a lot about, you know, and this is the part that I, I don't, I don't tell a lot of people, but I, you know, I, well, you're going to tell a whole lot of people now. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm all right with that. And it's, I was at, when all of this happened, I think I've, I hopefully I've done a, a good enough job conveying this while we've been talking about it, but I was in a, I was at a crossroads in my life when all of this stuff with the business with my dad's kind of started. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what do I do? I have, I have two children and, you know, now I have a third, third child and, you know, I have a wife and I, you know, I, and I have these responsibilities and, and, but I really, I'm really not happy doing what I'm doing. And, you know, it can be difficult sometimes when you have those responsibilities but you have no idea where you're going or how you're going to accomplish any of these things. And it's very, very easy to get discouraged and think that, you know what, I'm, I'm stuck in a rut and I'm always going to be stuck in this rut. And, and there, there's, I, I just can't change anything. And, and that's, you know, that's how, and we, we don't have to get into it, but that's how mental health issues begin. Right. So, yeah, you, know, not, exactly. you just have that, that feeling of self-worth and, and like, you're, you're not, you're not good enough for something more. Right. So mm-hmm. I, have been so fortunate in my life to have support from from so many people, from my parents, my mom, my dad, my wife, my wife's parents, my family, my brother, my sisters, just everyone just constantly supporting me. And so I started to think about when I wrote this book in my head, you know, I was like, all right, obviously I want to educate people on worms mm-hmm. and on vermicomposting and what we do with our business and what they, what they bring to this spinning rock we all share. Right. But I also want to edu- not really educate, but I, I want to send a message to, to kids ah. because kids, while people don't understand, people don't think about this necessarily. Mm-hmm. Kids struggle with the same things adults do. They just, they just do it differently, you know, with self-worth, you know, am I, am I worth something? Am I contributing to this planet? Am I contributing to my family? 
And so I started thinking about, you know, as you can imagine, when I talk to people at the farmer's market, the most, <laughs> I get so many people that when they realize what it is that dad and I do, they just make a face. Right. Like, oh, worms are <laughs> Worms are gross. And they're like, wait a second, that tub right there, that's full of worm poop. Like people don't know, people just, they just, oh, they're yeah. just grossed out and they don't understand. So I, I started thinking about what if there was this worm who didn't want to be a worm anymore because people think worms are gross and it was discouraging him and he wanted, he wanted to be something yeah. else. That was right? sad. And, yeah. Right. And it's, and he's sad and he's upset. He doesn't know which direction he just, I'm just, I want to be something else. I don't want to be a worm anymore. And so his friends, the bees come along and they say, all right, well, you're wrong. You're worth a lot. And we're going to convince you otherwise. And so that's the, a large portion of the story of the book is them convincing him that he does contribute, that he is worth something and that every single being human, animal, whatever, is important and and has their place and everyone as my dad likes to tell me and this is this is you know if there's he, he may or may not know it but he's going to know it now yeah, um, right you know the the single most important thing he's ever done to me or done for me in my life is tell me that i was enough wow and so that you know I, that's what this book is about is is about educating kids and mm -hmm. it's for adults too sure right that everyone is you're you're all enough everyone is enough and it, you know just you may need a little help sometimes finding your place in the mm -hmm. world yeah. but everyone is enough so that's that it <clears throat> that's how it started and, <laughs> and now you have and now you have a book yeah I, that's amazing i didn't want to publish it i had stayed in a drawer for a little while my wife wore me down and she said you need to get this thing out of the drawer and get get it into people's hands so nice well congratulations the book is thank you very much worms are people too it came out this year yeah just a couple just a couple months ago not even two months yet wow cool 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 and congratulations on that thank you very much i appreciate so, that i'm going to shift on you and i'd like for you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it sure so I feel like this is kind of a rite of passage for every worm farmer. I mean, I just told you about Mark Purser, mm -hmm. who has arguably one of the largest worm farms in the world. He killed his first batch of worms. And I won't say I that it know. was my, it was the right, right? So I won't say it was my first batch, but there, there was a batch that I went to go harvest castings one week and mm -hmm. I opened the bin and anyone who's ever done worms in bins knows that the moment the bin of worms dies the smell is something you'll ever forget mm -hmm. right so i opened the bin and as soon as i opened it i said oh man <laughs> there's not going to be a single one left alive in here i i guess distraught is probably a good word right yeah. you know you you're running hot you're you're doing great everything's wonderful and you're like oh man this killed all those worms and so i i in my brain you know i've got this analytical brain i was like how do i diagnose this right I got, how do I fix this? What do I, I figure out how it went, went, went wrong so it doesn't happen again. And so I combed through that thing and I realized that the bedding that I had used for that bin, what had been contaminated. And, um, you know, it was, I used leaves, dry, dried leaves from the woods as perfect. bedding. And I don't, I don't use shredded cardboard. Some people use shredded cardboard. That's fine. I don't use coconut core. Some people use that. That's fine. But I just, I use what's available to me mm -hmm. and that, you know, did dead leaves uh, from the woods. Well, I, I guess I had just not paid enough attention and I won't go too much into it, but there, at some point up there had been a dog in the woods and the, the bedding was contaminated. Uh, um, and so this kind of turned into one of those things where now when I educate people, cause people come to me and they ask me to help them start their worm farms, right? They start mm -hmm. a worm bin, you know, even if it's just one, two bins here or there, or like elementary schools, Love, love this, it, right? Yep. So I explained to them, I said, listen, bedding obviously is the first thing, most important thing, and making sure that it's not contaminated before you place it into your bin is of the utmost importance. So if yeah. I learned anything from it, it's, you know, ensure the quality of your bedding. And, and it's, it was a long time ago that this happened and it hasn't happened since, but it's, it opened up my eyes to, hey, 
pay a little bit more attention because these little guys are relying on you yeah. <laughs> to stay alive. Right. And what do you consider your biggest success? Oh boy. I would say pivoting from mm. a career in hospitality where, which has absolutely nothing to do with what I do now mm -hmm. to, to this and it being successful. Cause my dad even said to me the first, when we first, we actually took a little bit of time. So we started, I told you, I bought, we got the first batch of worms in, in January of uh, 2020. Well, we didn't start selling anything to anyone until almost May of that same year. I oh, told wow. him, I said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to feed these worms. We're going to harvest these castings. We're going to cultivate these items and we're going to try them on our own stuff. We're going to try them on our gardens. We're going to try them on our plants and we're going to take statistics. We're going to measure the plants. We're going to check the yields. We're going to, we're really going to get into this. And if it doesn't work, then we're going to scrap the whole thing. We're going to sell the worms to somebody and we'll think of something else. And it worked. It all worked. And so we, here we are with the business, but I, you know, being able to pivot complete, I'm over here and I went this way. Yeah. I feel like is, it has been, has been my biggest success. Nice. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And so what's your big why? What drives you? I'd be lying if it, if I didn't say it was my family, yeah. you know, I, I mm -hmm. and I think I, yeah, I, it's kind of hard for me to, for me to hide when I talk about them, how much I care for them because of everything that they've done for me. Cause it's, you know, I, again, I, like I said, I, I don't, I don't want to harp on it, but I truly was at, at a crossroads and I was at a point where I was like, man, <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. You know, I, I, and they have every single one of them have supported me since day one, my down to my, you know, and he doesn't know that he's doing it, but my five-year-old son and my, you know, two-year-old daughter, my, my two-month-old daughter, she can't, she just snuggles and, and, and does her own thing. But, you know, my kids and my family are, they, I get out of bed for them in the morning and I do what I do and I work as hard as I work and I'm as passionate about what I do because of them. Cause like you said, you know, we're, you know, we may, we, you, I, my dad, whoever may, may only be on this rock for you know, however much more time, but yeah. we, there are people coming behind us yep. who, who need this, this place as a home and, and they need to be able to, to enjoy the fruits that we've enjoyed, you know, Amen. and that's, so that's, that's, that's my biggest driver. Yeah. Well, and I don't have any kids. Sure. I chose a long time ago not to have any kids and that's why I do it. You I, may be the smartest man I've ever spoke to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Because I'm doing it for the kids? No, no, because you didn't have kids. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the you you probably get way more sleep at night than I do. Well, That's there you sure. go. I'm there you go. What, but it we culturally, the all of us need to be paying attention to our future that's coming like a freight train. Absolutely. And I, I agree. You know, finding out where our food comes from and what to do with food waste and this whole exploration that that we're collectively doing is probably the most important thing we can be doing right now. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. Cause I, I tell my son, you know, we, I have a large, other than my large garden, I have a large berry patch in my backyard too. Blueberries, oh, nice. uh, blackberries. And he, my children love berries and, and I, my wife and I joke that there's a lot of berries out there, but not one of them ever really makes it into the house um, because <laughs> the, the kids kind. grow them. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But so that I have, I've been trying to teach my son that food does not come from the grocery store. Right. Food comes from the earth, you know, and I always make the joke, you know, there was, when I was a kid, there was a billboard. I used to, used to laugh at it. There was a billboard on my way home from school and it had a huge picture of a St. Bernard and it was the, that movie Beethoven where the dog was Beethoven. Oh, yes, yes. Right? Yep, yep. Right? And it, and it's, it's a picture of St. Bernard and the very top of the billboard said, we are raising our children to think that Beethoven was a dog. And that's always stuck with me. And this is not, a, you know, advertisement for, for classical music, of course, but it's, it's the same thing with, food. Right. you know, 
sure, I get food in the grocery store, but that food came from someplace else. That came from a farm. Yeah. It came from the ground. You know, and and I want I want my son. You're never too young. I mean, he's five. He'll be six in November. I want him to know that that that's where food comes from. Yeah. Wow. Powerful statement. Thank you so much. And Absolutely. and appreciate your dad while he's here. My dad's birthday is tomorrow, and he's been gone twelve years now. Well, and, happy birthday to your dad in heaven. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I. Uh, so I am so happy for you that you know that you have that relationship with your parents. And so, yeah, keep it up. Good job, man. Thank you. Thank you. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? It's a no-brainer. Worm Farmer's Handbook, Dr. Rhonda Sherman. She, oh, yes. Uh, I, I actually bought mine on on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, but she uh, is, that book, man, I think I've probably read it, oh, i probably read it 10 times. And my dad has probably read it 20 times he actually mm. steals my copy more <laughs> often when i go to look for it i can't find it he probably has it but she's her book is actually the first place that i learned about worm tea oh uh, yes one, uh -huh. one of the other things that we cultivate and sell i you know if, if you've been an organic gardener for however long me 20 years my dad 40 plus excuse me you know the benefits of of worms on a garden on on compost on the earth yep. But there's a chapter in her book where she talks about something called worm tea. And, and I was like, this, is, this sounds ridiculous. I just don't understand. And so I read through it and it explains a process where you take pure castings and mm -hmm. you steep them in water and then you aerate it, that mixture with a bubbler. And the, the, tea, the tea part of it is really an ode to how it's brewed. And yeah. then the color, obviously it looks like tea when you're done yep. with it, but it's essentially the new the nutrient properties of it it's a liquid version of castings yeah. so you have a you know a, a different application you know where let's let's just compare it to uh, fertilizer you know so your castings are your granular fertilizer and your and your tea is your liquid and so it's more just you know what's you know what's better for your application you know i have a i, I have two cannabis farmers hemp farmers here in the area in the region yep. who uh, use our stuff and one grower prefers our castings and then the other grower prefers our tea and he actually runs our tea through his his irrigation system oh nice uh, and irrigates his his cannabis plants with the uh, with our tea so that's it. it again it's they have essentially the same properties the tea's got a little bit more because you're you're using the oxygen to really wake up those microbes, microbes um, yep. inside, and the active microbes are are it's like rocket fuel, man. So. Nice. And a final piece of advice for our listeners: Don't give up. Don't don't. I think about that uh, old T-shirt that was that was flying around a while ago. I used to see him at the beach all the time. It's that the frog who's in the bird's mouth. Right. And he's got mm. his he's in the mouth and he's getting ready to get eaten and he's got his hands around the bird's neck. And on the bottom <laughs> of it says it says, Don't give up. And yeah. uh, you know, you're you're going. That's just why I like your first question of your question so much. Mm -hmm. You're going to fail. Yeah. You will. It is inevitable. No one, there's no one that hasn't failed. It's how you get back up and learn from that failure and use that failure to move forward that defines you. And so as a, the best, if I had any advice, it would be don't give up. It's okay to get discouraged. It's okay to think that the deck is stacked against you and everything's not, nothing's going your way. And if you're really, you know, if you if it's really that bad, my contact information, I'm sure, will be in the show notes. Reach yep. out to me, and, and I will give you the best pep talk in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like your dad said, you're enough. You are enough. That's, That's exactly right. huge. huge. If, you don't take, if you don't take anything else away from Amen. this talk today, and there's a lot of good stuff here, <laughs> take that away. You're enough. Amen. Amen to that, sir. You are enough. Well, thank yeah. you so much for joining us on the show today, Paul. You rocked it, man. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Yeah, you bet. How can our listeners find you? Tell us about that. Email is probably easiest if you want to reach hey. out to me directly. So it's my email is, our company's name is Our Silent Partners. A little something 
catchy my dad came up with you know the uh-huh. worms are silent partners right so my email address is our our silent partners at outlook.com i'm also learning instagram oh, uh, yes. thank thank you to my baby sister she's nine years younger than me and instagram is her her jam it's her oh, thing nice. and she's like Paul, you need to start doing reels. You need to start doing videos. People need to see your face. And I'm like, I don't know. So my Instagram and my Facebook are fairly active. We do have a website. It's www.oursilentpartners.com. It's not as active. I kind of, I told you how busy I am with everything else. And so I'm trying to, trying to decide where the, where the best place to, to, to feed my time and my resources in. And I was told by a lot of people that, Websites are kind of secondary to social media right now. And so yeah. we have a website and there's stuff on it, but it's not as up to date as, I mean, I probably post on on social media at least once a day. So, cool. And your website is? www.oursilentpartners.com. Perfect. 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 Thank you so much. And you can find Thank show you. notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash our silent partners. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit denalicanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.